Good morning, Saints at Advent. Uh, good to uh, see you today. Today is the fifth Sunday after Easter, also also known as uh, Cantata uh, Sunday, uh, which means to sing, to give thanks. And so if you were with us for worship this morning, uh, you'll catch a little bit of that theme through our music and through the scripture readings for the day. Um, hopefully by now you have watched the information meeting that we had on Wednesday night. Hopefully by now you've also read the material that was emailed out to you and is also posted there on our website. Uh, short summary of what we're doing, as much as we would like to be gathering together, uh, doors completely open, people everywhere in the building, uh, we've decided to delay our opening uh, by just a couple of weeks. So May 24th will be our first Sunday with the doors wide open. Uh, we are going to limit the number per, per service, and we're going to keep that within the social distancing guidelines. We are not required to do that as churches, but after consultation with a number of active and practicing physicians in our congregation, as well as looking at some other metrics, uh, the decision was unanimously made amongst our leadership, uh, board of elders, chairman, and these other physicians uh, to uh, follow those guidelines for the time being. So there will be three Sundays, May 24th, May 31st, I think I got that right, and June, it's either June 6th or June 7th. June 7th? Okay. So those three Sundays, you will need to sign up uh, so that we can keep our numbers at 100 or less. We're going to offer three services on those three Sundays. Normal times of 8.15 a.m. and 10.45 a.m., and then we're adding another one during that Bible study hour uh, at 9.30 a.m. These services will be shortened just slightly. We'll still do the liturgy, uh, have the Lord's Supper. Uh, there'll be about a 45-minute service. That way we can get everybody in, everybody out, and we can do some cleaning. There's more details in that document, and we covered that in the information meeting as well. We would simply ask you to sign up for one of those three services. You can actually go ahead and do that now. That's up and available on our website. There's a link to Sign Up Genius. Um, if you are uh, choosing to continue to stay at home uh, or remain sequestered in some way, know that we will continue to offer individual absolution and the sacrament as we've been doing for the last huh, eight, nine weeks, however long it's been. So we're going to continue that process indefinitely as long as there's a need for people to have that. So we've had a few older people, I should say 65 and older, that have reached out to us and said, um, Pastor, we, we want to come back to church, but for the time being, uh, we're, we're not going to, you know, do that. We'll continue to come, uh, you know, privately and receive the Lord's Supper. Um, so use your best judgment on this. We are not making new rules or laws. Um, the, this COVID, as we've heard from many of our physicians, is just extremely contagious, and uh, we're, we're trying to mitigate uh, against, you know, another spike, another spread, and also try and get back to normal as best we can. Okay. So May twenty fourth. May 31st and June 7th, those services are by signups only, sign up online. If you're not a computer person, then you're probably not watching this. <laughs> but if you have problems with the sign up, call the church office, call us as pastors, we'll get you signed up for that as well, okay? Then June 14th will be, as of right now, as long as nothing changes, our big grand opening, if you will. Uh, that'll be kind of normal schedule, one big service at 8.15. We normally average between 125 to 150, um, and then another service at 10.45. Uh, we imagine those numbers to be just a little lower uh, because some people will still be sheltering in place, uh, but we can quite adequately, even with those numbers, maintain social distancing in our sanctuary, okay? So June 14th is kind of the big Sunday and, and once June 14th rolls around, you won't need to sign up. Just come to church as you normally do, okay? Uh, last thing, we won't start in-person Bible classes or Bible class, Sunday Bible class and fellowship until July 4th, okay? Uh, that's, uh, again, we're trying to follow a little bit of the state guidelines and go from there, okay? Um, I know some of you are on either sides of the fence with this. Um, keep in mind that... We are trying to be smart about this. Uh, we're also trying to still honor and respect um, our authorities and what's going on, um, and uh, and that's where we're at with that. So, okay, 
So whoever gave the thumbs down symbol for the Wednesday night information meeting, I assume it's just because you wanted to come back to church. And, and I'll give you a thumbs up for that one, okay? Okay, any other questions that we might have on live chat? Um, I don't want to go into too much more detail. Um, there's questions and answers there in the documents that you can read through. Uh, the elders will be calling all the members as we did back several months ago when all of this uh, started. So uh, check your voicemail if you didn't get a phone call uh, or if you don't have voicemail, enable it. Uh, all the elders are, are making phone calls again to make sure everybody is aware of what's going on, okay? All right, a um, couple other things. Um, let's see, we tried out this morning um, our new equipment. So we have new cameras uh, and, and new computers and all sorts of stuff to help us better stream and, and, and do what we're doing. Um, so th this week actually is kind of installation week to install those cameras. There'll be three cameras in the sanctuary, one mounted at the very back uh, uh, of the sanctuary, kind of with an aisle shot. There'll be two over on the back side walls. We've actually had one back there for the nursery that's been there for many months that uh, Pastor Grady installed a while back. Uh, so those will be the three main can uh, uh, cameras in the sanctuary. And then upstairs in the choir loft, kind of over by the soundboard, there'll be a small desk. And that's where uh, whoever is uh, taking care of streaming the services. Uh, we will continue to stream the services. Now with all this equipment, it's going to be much easier to do and easier to train people to do it as well. So um, for the time being, we'll do that. If you come to church, the other thing I want you to know, we're not going to show your face on YouTube. Okay? I know some parents uh, have been concerned about having you know pictures of their kids up on the Internet. Have no fear about that. Uh, what you see on Sunday morning where it's just the pastors, that's what we're going to do with the permanent installation. We're not going to, you know, pan to shots in the pews to see you ooh and ah and cry when the pastor is preaching his sermon or during your favorite hymn. Um, it, it's not for entertainment value. Uh, it's, again, to let God's Word do its work. And it's a snapshot, uh, you know, uh, for those that can't come to church, it's as close, you know, as you can get. Uh, so, so that's the plan, okay? Any questions that have come up? I don't see any on my smart device here, so I think we are good to go. So, the Lord be with you. Let us pray. O God, you make the minds of your faithful to be of one will. Grant that we may love what you have commanded and desire what you promise, that among the many changes of this world our hearts may be fixed where true joys are found. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. We are continuing, we're getting really close to finishing up, our study of the Saving Truth Doctrine for Lay People uh, by uh, Professor Kurt E. Marquardt, who now rests from his labors uh, with uh, our Lord and the saints and the angels above. And we are on page 144. Uh, this is uh, chapter 8, One Holy Church on Earth and in Heaven. Uh, page 144, the last full paragraph, uh, paragraph, unlike the Old Testament church. Unlike the Old Testament church, which had a detailed ceremonial law, the New Testament church has very few divinely established outward observances. First, there is baptism, the sacrament of entrance into Christ and His church. Then there is preaching including especially the absolution. And for this, there is a divinely instituted public ministry. Finally, there is the Holy Supper as the focal point of the church's public life and worship. Okay? So in the Old Testament church, and for those of you that have been studying the book of Leviticus, we took a break two months ago, and we're going to be starting that back up here in the next week or two. Uh, now that we can gather those that are able to come, We'll sit six feet apart, have a Wednesday morning Bible class, and we'll stream that as well. So we're going to get back into Leviticus. What we learned by looking at the Old Testament is there were a lot of regulations, a lot of laws, divine mandates from God, and they were really, really important to the point that think sons of Korah, um, you know, think uh, Aaron's sons. Um, <laughs> you could die if you did it wrong. Uh, so that was a really big deal. So now in the New Testament, now that Christ has come, we have you know, three mandates, if you will, and we refer to them as sacraments. 
Sacrament, uh, you won't find that word itself in your English Bible. Uh, sacrament comes from the Greek word mysterion, such as when Paul writes, uh, men ought to consider us as stewards of the mysteries of God. Okay? So the divinely appointed office, the new office that Christ established, which is the pastoral office, now is in charge of these sacraments, of being stewards of them. Okay? Baptism, uh, and then office of the keys, okay? confession, absolution. Uh, Jesus says, whatever sins you bind on earth are bound in heaven. Whatever sins you loose on earth are loosed in heaven. Okay? Jesus says, behold, I give you the keys uh, to, uh, to, to, to uh, uh, binding and loosing, the binding and loosing keys. And then, of course, you've got the sacrament of the altar. Okay? Uh, so we refer to these then as the sacraments of the church. Um, of course, confession, absolution, or the office of the keys is kind of a sacrament, kind of not, in the sense that baptism and the Lord's Supper have visible elements. So God's promise is attached to, for example, water in baptism. Just simple, plain old water. There's nothing special about the water apart from God's word being added to it. Same thing with the Lord's Supper, simple bread and wine. But when Christ's word is added to it, now it becomes the body and blood of Jesus. Okay? With absolution, there's no visible element, if you will. And that's why you've heard me say before, there's a, a, a finicky kind of fun Luther quote where he said, if the church was really cold and you could see the pastor's breath, <laughs> that would be you know, the visible element for that. Okay? So these are the three things that Marquardt is talking about. All other arrangements in the church are made in Christian love and freedom for the sake of good order. So what is the church to concern herself with according to Christ's mandate or emphasis? Baptism, confession absolution, and the Lord's Supper. Those are the most important things. Okay? Um, all other arrangements now are made in Christian love and freedom for the sake of good order. It should be recalled too, Marquardt continues, that a church consists neither of hearers only nor of preachers only but of hearers and preachers together, okay? Um, I remember the story being told to me of, a, of a, another a dear brother pastor, a friend of mine, um, who had a couple of pastors that would meet uh, in his parking lot in his church once a week, and they would celebrate the Lord's Supper there in their car just together. And so we were at a pastor's conference, and he shared this information, and I'm thinking to myself, wait a minute, I mean, the Lord's Supper, I mean, it's it's not for pastors to commune themselves, okay? I mean, not that they can't, but the intent is that it's done together, right? That there are recipients there. So it's pastors and, you know, hearers together at the same time. Um, and, and that brought up kind of a question in my mind. I'm not, I'm not saying it wasn't valid or efficacious in that sense, but what are the intents of the Lord's gifts, the intents of the Lord's gifts is that there be pastors who serve and hearers now who receive, okay? Uh, and, and they go together, okay? Uh, one and uh, can't have one without the other, okay? I think there's a song about that. Can't have one without the other. There you go. Made you smile today. Oh, by the way, happy Mother's Day. Yes. Uh, thank you, moms, uh, for life. Uh, thank you for your hard work for us. I was blessed with a, with a wonderful mother. Uh, who clothed us, fed us, sang us silly songs, and, uh, and, and, and loved us to death. And for that, I'm very thankful. I'm also blessed to uh, have uh, married a wonderful woman um, who has been an excellent mother uh, to our uh, four children. And uh, so, happy Mother's Day. Um, I'm sorry that uh, it's a little different. You know, normally on Mother's Day, uh, you know, my dad would always buy my mom a corsage uh, and his mom. And normally, we would we would go out of town for Mother's Day because my dad wanted to be with his mom. So we would we would travel a few hours to go be with Grandma uh, and and go to church. And he always made sure we took Grandma, you know, by the arm and 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 walked her in and and went out to lunch afterwards and. Uh, it's a little different Mother's Day this year. So, uh, moms, you're still loved and appreciated. Uh, thank you, and we love you very much. Okay. Uh, bottom, uh, beginning paragraph on 144. This very freedom of the church, Marquardt continues, means that decisions must be made constantly about many details. In principle, two sorts of questions arise. There are matters which are settled in the word of God. 
okay? So he's saying that, okay, there are matters that are simply settled in the Word of God, okay? Uh, is it okay to pray to the Virgin Mary? No, okay? Um, I mean, you think about some of the things that we maintain as a matter of confession because Scripture speaks to them, okay? God has created us male and female. You don't get to choose your gender according to Scripture, Okay, you're either born male, uh, born a female, um, and uh, Scripture speaks on that. So we speak to that. Um, so, you know, things like that. Okay, uh, Voting in such matters, Marquardt continues, means that the truth is, is not that the truth is being established by vote, but that consensus in and submission to the Word is thereby sought and expressed. Okay, So there are matters that... You know, the church will take a vote and say, hey, this is what we confess. This is what we're going to practice here. Um, you know, when this congregation was established, there was uh, a vote at some point to join the Missouri Synod, uh, to make application for it in some way, shape, or form. Uh, and the Synod then, uh, through the Indiana District at the time, you know, looked over our Constitution, our bylaws, you know, talked to Pastor Feeney about that process and some of the members who were around, you know, 25-plus years ago, um, there's a process for it, uh, and, and, the, and there, there's a reason for that. So there was voting and approval of, of that, saying this is what we believe, this is what we're going to practice. That's, that's a good thing, okay? There are also, Marquardt continues, matters not decided by God's Word, and love is empress in these cases, okay? Um, so faith, hope, and love, greatest of these is, you know, the answer is love, Okay? Here, neither majorities nor minorities have any right to bind one another's consciences, but everyone should stand ready to accommodate everyone else, Ephesians 5.21. So, uh, say again, I always love to use the example of a church needs to put new carpet in. And so you've got some people that, wow, blue carpet looks really good with our stained glass windows. right? And the other people are like, but, but red is the color of fire and, and Pentecost. And then the blue folks are like, well, we're named Advent Lutheran Church, and, and the color for Advent is blue, and the stained glass windows are blue, so it's kind of from Scripture, but it's not, but that's the most important, and we have to have blue carpet. And the red carpet people are like, oh, red is Pentecost, and fire, and faith, and da-da-da-da-da, right? And so they're, you know, and <laughs> each one, sinfully, tries to use maybe God's Word to beat the other up or to bind one another's consciences. Okay, that's wrong. Okay, um, so the best thing to do is to find, you know, a common ground. Um, and if you know anything about relationships, uh, if you're married or have to work at work, uh, you know how this works. Uh, there has to be, a, you know, a point where someone gives into the other. Uh, my wife was watching. Oh, what's the show where they they come into your house and they fix it up? And then, oh, Love It or List It, that's the name of it. She was watching a Love It or List It episode. And, uh, and they had this, this one couple that were on two completely different pages. One wanted to live in the city, and one wanted to live in the suburbs. And so through the episode, you're like, I wonder who's going to cave. Which one? Because at some point, you know, love is going to have to reign supreme. Somebody's going to have to sacrifice their opinions, and their desires for the other. And so I thought they did a really good job in the episode kind of playing it because, you know, we had, you know, one of, one of the, 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 the couples, and I'm, I'm not sure if they were married. Let's not get into that. And, <laughs> and we thought for sure that this, this one that was so firm about living or not living in the, in the city or the suburbs was going to get their way and ends up that that person ended up for the sake of love, saying, "Hey, um, you know, I'm gonna, we're gonna go with what you want." Okay. Now I don't know how the rest of it turned out because we don't get that through a TV episode, but but that's where love must be empress. And so keep that in mind when we have decisions at church that have nothing to do per se with the Word of God, like uh, blue carpet or red carpet. Um, that no, um, your opinion on certain matters is, you know not always going to either be accepted or agreed upon by others. And the church is going to make decisions. And so, you know, at some point, there needs to be that willingness uh, to work with others. The more spiritually mature people are, the more, Marquardt says, they must, quote, read it with me, 
bear with the failings of the weak and not please themselves. Romans 15, verse 1. Let me say that again. Bear with the failings of the weak and not please themselves. We hear this echoed again in Corinthians where Paul talks about bearing with one another in love. Um, And love is sacrificial. And so love should always look outside of, of your own opinions and desires. Certainly should seek to inform and teach Uh, But be ready to, for the sake of love, not always get your way. While minorities can ordinarily be expected to accept majority decisions for the sake of peace and good order, majorities may sometimes have to yield to minority preferences for the sake of love and unity. And I've seen this before in voters' meetings, which can be... (laughs) Voters' meetings are usually, you know, take care of business and good... Um, or voters' meetings sometimes can be contentious. Um, and so as a pastor, I've, I've had many different types of those. I've had meetings where there was a minority really pushing, you know, one thing, and the majority, you know, didn't go for it, but it ended up there being hurt feelings, you know, by the minority. I've also been in a situation where, you know, the minority opinion was, was the better decision. Um, and so even the majority as a whole... Uh, really may not have liked it or kind of been there, they acquiesced, uh, acceded to the, the minority opinion. And so, you know, there's a back and forth in that, but Christian love is, 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 is the most important thing. The assertion, Marquardt continues, in the church of any authority counter to or beyond that of Christ himself in his life-giving gospel and sacraments introduces a counter-Christian impetus. Okay? So, The authority, the ultimate authority, always comes back to God's Word. And where God speaks, and Charles Porterfield Krauth was really good on this, then we are conservative, okay? Um, Then we want to preserve that which Christ says. And we confess that and we profess that, okay? And that's why you hear the phrase doctrine and practice, because we take God's Word now and we, we put that into practice, so we let the main thing be the main thing. Okay? Um, and then, of course, there are other things that, that, that surround that that certainly are important, you know, red carpet, blue carpet, you know, that sort of thing. Um, but we have to be careful that we don't lose sight of, of the gospel and the sacraments. This, Marquardt says, does violence to the Holy Bride of Christ. So we face here the spiritual horror of Antichrist. Be it noted that the Greek word anti means not only against, but also in place of. Subtle competition and displacement often prove more effective than open opposition. Thus, Satan much prefers to masquerade as an angel of light rather than as a chimney sweep reeking of brimstone. And let's look up 2 Corinthians 11, verse 14. Okay? Because sometimes we're all, you know, the devil this, the devil that. But Scripture warns us that uh, the devil will come... (laughs) in ways that often uh, appear uh, to look good and not always be as recognizable. So 2 Corinthians 11, verse 14, reads as follows. I'm going to start at 12. And what I do, I will continue to do, Paul writes, in order to undermine the claim of those who would like to claim that in their boasted mission they work on the same terms as we do. For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. So this is what Marquardt's been teaching us of of those who would come into the church and say, well, the main business of the church is not baptism and absolution, the Lord's Supper, it's fill in the blank. And perhaps you've heard that before from from others. Uh, And no wonder, uh, Paul continues, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will correspond to their deeds. Okay. Now I could go on and on right now about what some Lutheran churches are, are even doing in the midst uh, of the pandemic, but I, I'm not, I'm not going to go into that right now. Um, <laughs> yikes. Um, I think... The thing that we need to focus on, and that's what we've tried to do here at Advent, and I'm not saying we've been perfect at this, is focus on exactly that. Doctrine and practice, baptism, absolution, 
Lord's Supper. So we've continued to offer all these things. The church has never been closed through this pandemic in the midst of that. Okay? Now, you may have chosen not to partake of some of that, uh, but we have continued to do that work as a church. Has it been a little differently than what we were doing before? Yes. I know some, you know, even Lutheran churches and pastors who they've been sitting on their hands and their thumbs for the last two, three months. No church, you know, no Bible class like this, nothing. Just everything's completely shut down. Um, and wow, what a great vacation that must have been, or it's continuing to be. Um, so we, you got a question that come up, Matthias? You are stretching. Okay, okay. Back to Marquardt, back to Marquardt. The counter-Christian spirit can and does exist in many different forms and degrees. And he's got a number of Bible passages there that would be good uh, for you to spend some time in on your own. Matthew 16, 22 to 23. Matthew 26, 51. Luke 9, 33 to 41. Romans 16, verse 18. And 1 John 4, verse 3. Okay. So the Christian spirit can and does exist, uh, or the counter-Christian spirit can and does exist in many different forms and degrees. So that's where we always want to be mindful of what we're seeing and what we're hearing. Okay? The Antichrist, of course, uh, Scripture says, will come from within the church. Um, and so sometimes I've been at uh, board meetings, council meetings, uh, voters meetings, that sort of thing, and uh, oh boy, okay, there's the Antichrist. And not, not necessarily in the form of one particular person, um, although sometimes you know we'll fall into that trap. Uh, all of us are sinners, and we will all sin, and sometimes speak out of turn or improperly or impolitely or disrespectfully, uh, but the, the devil works through that sin, okay? Also, therefore, in the flesh of Orthodox Lutheran pastors. Did you catch that? Marquardt says this, the counter-Christian spirit can also be found in the flesh of Orthodox Lutheran pastors when they, like Peter, seek to evade the cross with human wisdom or power. Um, and so when we fall into this, you know, age of, 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 of rationalism and humanism, and, and let's just summarize it for what it is today, this, I call it post-postmodernism, uh, where, you know, human wisdom and power is going to lead and guide us more than, you know, God's Word. Um, and so that's, that's a question that's continually on my mind, and even throughout this pandemic, you know, I, I, have, I have questioned, you know, myself probably every day uh, about, you know, whether what we've done is the best in accordance with God's Word, and I go back and forth on that, and in some respects, I also have submitted to, uh, to others, uh, you know, and so that, that's a continual thing, and so we need to evaluate that, okay? Um, okay. Institutionally, no questions yet? However, this uh, usurpation of power, is that how you say that word? Usurp, usurpation. It just sounds weird. Usur, not a word we normally use, usurpation. Uh, however, this usurpation of power over Christian consciences has reached its climax in the papacy. From small beginnings in apostolic times, 2 Thessalonians 2 verse 7, the spiritual tyranny has since 1870, that was Vatican I, remember Vatican II took place uh, you know, a little, uh, you know, under 100 years after that, okay? Uh, and that made some big changes, uh, liturgy and otherwise, that still affect all of Christendom and certainly the Roman Catholic Church. I won't go into all the history on that. Some of you have studied that. Um, formally claimed divine infallibility for its own pronouncements on faith and morals, okay? Uh, so the, the Pope, as the vicar of Christ, uh, what he says and what the, the, the church decrees is equal to what Scripture says. So this is where we differ with Roman Catholicism. Okay? For us, God's Word is, remains supreme. Okay? Uh, you know, the Bible is our formal principle, if you will. If you've studied religions, you'll talk about formal principle and material principle. So for us as Lutherans, formal principle is Scripture and Scripture alone. Okay? Uh, that it is God's Word, infallible, inerrant. Our material principle, you should know the answer to this, justification. Okay, uh, That Jesus has made us just as if I had no sin, justification. Okay, uh, For Roman Catholic Church, formal principle would be what? 
Scripture, they would say, plus the traditions, teachings, or authority of the church. So now they bring something else up to that level. Okay, Material principle would be, you ready for this? <laughs> you using the grace God gives you to now do good works and appease God. So they twist justification. Um, so we are not on the same page with justification because ultimately it falls upon you to do penance, uh, to use, you know, they would look at grace uh, as didymus or power that God gives, but if you fail to use it, uh, then you are apart from God, okay? And I don't want to go too much into that, but just so you get a little bit of the background of what where Marquardt's going with this. So still more, the papacy in the name of Christ officially declares anathema. Anathema means accursed, okay? Um, and this is why you shouldn't say something like, go to hell. Why? Okay. Uh, or using, you know, uh, say that you're going to ask God to damn something, right? Uh, whether a thing or a person. We teach this to our kids, our confirmation kids, because when you say, God, damn, this or that, what are you doing? You're asking God to send that person or that thing where? To hell. Okay, so that's basically what the Roman Catholic Church now has said in terms of declaring things anathema, accursed. Anyone who confesses the gospel, that is, anyone who confesses, quote, that justifying faith is nothing else than trust in divine mercy, which remits sins for Christ's sake, or that it is this trust alone by which we are justified. Okay, so we are justified solely on account of Christ, by his merits and by his works, okay? That's why the meaning of words are important, okay? Um, so I wasn't swearing earlier. I'm using words that actually mean things, and that's why we want to be mindful of what they are so that we don't use them improperly, okay? The Reformation unmasked the papacy as that lawless one sitting in the temple, that is the church of God, as if he were God, and let's look at 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 1, because we still maintain in our Lutheran confessions that the office of the papacy, not necessarily the man that occupies the office, but the office of the papacy, because of what it claims for itself, is the Antichrist. So 2 Thessalonians, what did I say? I'm reading sideways. 2, verse 1. Let's look that up real quick. I don't have the screen here in front of me. What is wrong with my fingers? There it is. Second Thessalonians 2, verse 1. Now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together to him, we ask you, brothers, not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed, either by a spirit or a spoken word or a letter seeming to be from us, okay, uh, to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. Let no one deceive you in any way. For that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first and the man of lawliness is revealed, the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God, right? So, you know, we do not venerate the Pope as is often done or his office. Uh, and so you can kind of read between the lines. Okay, we have a question that came in. Do we classify Roman Catholics as Christians or not? I'm going to answer that first and foremost. Yes, in the sense that they are Trinitarian. Uh, they believe Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. According to the ecumenical creeds, Apostles' Creed, Nicene Creed, Athanasian Creed, uh, those are the basic building blocks of what it means to be a Christian. Okay. Uh, the rest of your question, how since they say whatever the Pope says is equal to the Word of God, this would be false doctrine and false teaching, and that the office of the papacy is the Antichrist, that's what we confess that it is, and that's why we are not in altar and pulpit fellowship with Roman Catholics. Okay, uh, That's you know why Luther was excommunicated, because of what he wrote uh, in regards to his you know, 95 theses and, of course, all the rest of his writings. And when Luther was confronted with that, what did he say? Here I stand, you know, I can do no other, so help me God. Um, and so we maintain a separation. 
Um, but remember, to be a Christian is certainly to confess Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But to be a Christian is to have faith in Jesus Christ as their Savior. Okay? So when you ask the question, uh, do we classify our own Catholics as Christians? Yes, we do, because of their confession of faith. Now, uh, might there be individuals within the Roman Catholic Church who place more faith and trust uh, in, you name it, the Pope or Mary or saints instead of Jesus, and therefore now you know, have rejected faith in Christ? Quite possibly, although I can't see into their hearts and neither can you. God can. But we're told is to flee from false teachers and, and, and go away from that. Okay? Now, you can play you know, uh, the game of your question with all the denominations. So all the denominations that we are not in altar and pulpit fellowship with, there is some error in teaching and or practice that is contrary to the Word of God that keeps us from you know, being in altar and pulpit fellowship together. Okay? Are there still Christians in those places? Absolutely. And keep in mind, faith comes from what? Hearing the Word of God. They still read the Scripture in the Roman Catholic Church? Yes, they do. So faith still comes. Okay? Um, so, you know, I met some pretty hardcore Roman Catholics that, uh, I, you know, I, I'm not sure that true saving faith is there based on, you know, what they maintain. I mean, they say that Jesus is Christ, but at the same time, I've met some hardcore Roman Catholics, um, and uh, there's a popular one that might fall, at least from what I've read into this bunch, that would be Mel Gibson, um, who would maintain that uh, Mary is a little bit of a, of a co-redemptrix, uh, you know, uh, can save and can rescue. And I'm not sure where Gibson is, is at now. He's had other interviews in the past, but as you know, Mel Gibson has said a lot of things. Uh, so let's not pick on Mel Gibson. I'm sorry, I shouldn't have brought that up. Um, sorry, Mel. Uh, but, uh, you know, is your faith firmly rooted solely and only in Christ, or are you looking to someone or something else to save you? And if you are, repent of that. Okay? I mean, yes, we're all sinners. Saving faith is in Christ alone. So, you know, that's why I, I could not become a Roman Catholic because of what the church teaches in that regards. Okay? On the other hand, I, I know many Roman Catholics who you know, would say their faith in Christ comes first before Mary or praying to the saints. I know some Roman Catholics that, you know, don't say the rosary every day. And the church would say, whoa, you're sinful or you're going to H-E double hockey sticks. Uh, or they don't go to confession that often. But is there is there faith there? Yes. And I encourage them to flee from that and come join us. <laughs> uh, but, of course, you get all the family things and that sort of thing. Okay. All right, I don't know if I answered your question or if you liked my answer, but that's what it is. Okay, let's move on. Uh, the Reformation unmasked the papacy as the lawless one. That's what we just read. Uh, the church of God as if he were God. Now, Revelation 17 supports Carlyle's famous judgment that the papacy is, quote, the ghost of the Roman Empire sitting crowned upon the grave thereof. Uh, great, uh, great, uh, great quote uh, uh, there. Okay. All right, the church in glory, top of page 146. I've got about nine minutes left. Is that correct? St. Paul wrote, and would you read it with me? For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. And I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. Now, St. Paul was not thinking in the modern manner of a basically private going to heaven. The true biblical hope of heaven has nothing to do with this bloodless sort of, of passing on. To be sure, the souls of believers go to heaven at death. Read Luke 23, verse 43, Acts 7, verse 59, right? Um, so, so when you die, um, there's, there's two directions, <laughs> all right? Uh, there's to heaven, uh, to be with God, bosom of Abraham, if you will, uh, or there is H-E devil hockey sticks. Okay. Yet this transition is not our ultimate hope. And this is something we need to be mindful of. And I've, I've obviously, being a pastor, I've encountered this quite a bit. A loved one has died and the family says, Oh, now Grandpa or Grandma is you know, finally at peace. And Grandpa's driving his Massey Fergusons around or his John Deere's or he's at his favorite fishing hole or he's in his favorite deer blind or Grandma is quilting or, I mean, you know, fill in the blank. As if 
where our loved ones are now is the finality and there's nothing else to come. And that's sinful and wrong. Because there is way more yet to come. Scripture tells us that. Okay? So, you know, death now before Christ has returned is, 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 is not the finality. That's, that's lesson number one. Okay, uh, and let, let's 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 just read on with Mark. Where let me let him tackle this a little bit. So this transition is not our ultimate hope. Rather, that hope springs from the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting, not as isolated individuals, but in the blessed company of the whole church. I had a very good professor at uh, St. Louis by the name of Reverend Doctor Jeffrey Gibbs. Um, a great uh, professor wrote a commentary on Matthew. Uh, very involved in uh, uh, pro-life uh, work. Um, uh, love him and his wife, Renee, uh, to death. Haven't seen much of him in the last few years. Just haven't had a chance. Uh, but one of the things that he taught us as seminarians, and this, this is now going back uh, almost two decades, uh, is the resurrection, right? Uh, about how there is a resurrection that yet awaits and yet comes and a new heaven and a new earth. And sometimes we spend so much time just living here and then, okay, when you die, hey, you're all good. You know, but the resurrection hasn't taken place yet. And so we need to, we need to not forget that and we confess that in the creeds, okay? Um, oh, we had a question that just popped up. I don't know if I'm going to answer this right now because we're on another tangent, but is a church that claims to be purely orthodox not like a man that claims to be without sin. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think that's a fair statement. As a congregation, should we thank God for our orthodoxy but repent of our heterodoxy? Yes. I think those are both, uh, both excellent, excellent uh, uh, comments. Um, keep in mind that when you talk about orthodoxy and heterodoxy, right? So orthodoxy is, you know, if, if you want to just break it down right way, uh, heterodoxy, you know, wrong way. I don't want to get too much into the, the, the definition of the language apart from that. Um, but uh, uh, in the confession that we have as a church, orthodox. It is right. It is true. Think orthodontist. What do orthodontists do? They straighten your dentals, your teeth, right, so that they're right, okay? Um, so our confession as a church, uh, repent of our heterodoxy, the, 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 the heterodoxy is not from the confession. The heterodoxy, uh, hopefully, would not be in the doctrine. I would maintain that in terms of doctrine, the Missouri Synod is pretty orthodox. Okay? There are a couple of things, and I'm not going to get into them now, that I would say we're, we're sliding towards heterodoxy. Um, but uh, in terms of just confession, Scripture, and the, and the confessions... Orthodox, okay? Heterodoxy, I would say in answer to your question, would be in practice. So think doctrine and practice, okay? Um, so absolutely, okay? All right, let's uh, go back to Marquardt. Hope I answered your question there okay. Uh, shoot me something to let me know. Okay, so back to this concept of death and heaven. So this transition of, of dying now and waiting for the resurrection is not our ultimate hope. That hope springs from the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting, not as isolated individuals, but in the blessed company of the whole church. To feast forever in the new heaven and new earth at the cosmic wedding banquet of the Lamb and his bride. Now pay attention here because Mark Hart's going to teach us something. The church in heaven and the church on earth are already one. That's the first thing you need to remember, and we talked a little bit about this before. Okay. There's already unity between heaven and earth. That has been bridged by Christ in his incarnation in the flesh, uh, who has now bridged that gap and now opened heaven to us. So heaven is open now in word and in sacrament. Go back to those things now which Christ has established, mandated now for us. We confess this reality, especially in the communion preface, when we unite with angels and archangels and with all the company of heaven to chant the Savior's praises. An old Scandinavian custom makes the point well. The altar rail is always at least slightly curved because it is only a small visible foreground of a larger unseen circle to which we here belong. Okay? So um, I've got Scandinavian in my blood, um, uh, uh, Swedish and Norwegian uh, through my uh, relatives, a mom's side of the family that settled up in Minnesota. 
right? Um, I was uh, raised on all the uh, Sven and Oli and Lena jokes, and we had Ludafisk and and uh, at Thanksgiving and Christmas, and I, I can't do the accent. I'll start sounding Asian or something if I do it, um, and all that stuff, okay? But but I always go back to, uh, uh, there, there was a, a settlement called Svedal, and Svedal had a church on the west and a church on the east. And, and my grandparents were members at East Svedal. And that's where uh, uh, my grandparents are buried, along with uh, uh, many other relatives on my mom's side of the family. And you go into this church, and very Scandinavian in terms of its architecture. It's a beautiful old church. And the communion rail is, is curved, right? Germans like things, <laughs> sharp edges and square. Scandinavians, <laughs> and maybe Pastor Feeney will get on if he's listening and, and teach us a little bit Scandinavians, a little more of the round, kind of, uh, you know, not soft, but uh, uh, just kind of kind of pleasing. And so the, the communion rail uh, is, is like a half circle, okay, uh, entrance at the center, okay? And, and, and why do they set up the communion rails that way? Because there's another side, Right? The circle is complete where? In the presence of God, which we are in the presence of. So, you know, what we see in a mirror now, dimly, we will see face to face. You know, we have the same thing here at Advent, and I guess we're kind of in between Scandinavian and German. You know, uh, we just kind of have one straight <laughs> row of kneelers. You know, uh, some churches will be more of like a rectangle, some around. You can, it doesn't matter what you have, but just there's some neat historical explanations for some of that, okay? I want to get through this real quick before we're gone, okay? So an old Scandinavian custom makes the point well. The altar rail is always at least slightly curved because there's only a small visible foreground of a larger unseen circle to which we here belong. Now this confident expectation of everlasting life has from the beginning given great strength and courage to Christians in the face of suffering and death. The venerable Bishop Polycarp, a student of the Apostle uh, St. John, was arrested in 167 AD and told that he could save his life by cursing Jesus. He calmly replied, Eighty-six years have I served him, and he never did me any wrong. How can I blaspheme my king who saved me? Threatened with fire, the bishop said, The fire you threaten burns but an hour and is quenched after a little. For you do not know the fire of the coming judgment and everlasting punishment that is laid up for the impious. And so Polycarp was actually burnt alive, yet praising God like Stephen as he was being killed. Similar scenes have been enacted throughout the church's history, also in our time under the fearful persecutions of modern pagan regimes. Okay? Uh, let's finish with this next paragraph that will be got done. In our Western world, where pleasure and luxury beckon on every hand, we modern believers need to recover the old Christian sense of the reality and nearness of heaven. And if you got a book, underline that sentence. Okay? We modern believers need to recover the old Christian sense of the reality and nearness of heaven. What often spoils it for us moderns is the vague suspicion that heaven will be a boring eternal choir practice, right? Oh, I don't want to go to heaven yet. I've still got so much to do. Or this life is going to be so much more fulfilling, okay? Such a dismal prospect almost seems to impose upon us a duty to have as much fun as possible now before it's all over. You can't take it with you, right? <laughs> but whoever dies with the most toys still dies. But this vision of heaven as loss and impoverishment actually turns out to be the same unfaith that drove Adam and Eve out of paradise. Think about that. It amounts to sheer distrust of God to think that He somehow begrudges us true happiness and withholds it from us so that we must reach for it ourselves even against His warning word. Yet even when the mirages of sin conjure up contrary appearances in which deserts look like oases and bleaching bones seem to hold luscious refreshment, faith trusts God to look out for our interests and well-being. Okay? I love my wife to death and she loves me. And yes, we have a typical marriage that bounces up and down like most people. Okay? But one thing that she has said is... Uh, I don't like this whole there's not being marriage in heaven because 
you're my husband, I'm your wife, and, and I want what we have to be for all eternity. What's my answer to her? God will provide, my dear bride, and it will be better than what we have now. Can our eyes see that? No. Can our heart feel that? No. But what has God said? What has he said? He said that I will provide for you and give you more than, than you have now, and it, it'll be wunderbar. And so our faith trusts in God, right? But we want rational answers, right? Uh, we we want to know, well, God says, hey, it's going to be good, okay? Uh, we'll pick up with the next paragraph and talk a little bit more about that. Scripture tells us a little, very little about what eternal life will be like. So we are left with God's simple promise that uh, I've got you, all right? He's got you as well, uh, even still as we're apart a little bit here. Uh, folks, we're just, we're just a few short weeks away. Be patient. Um, I know this has not been what any of us have wanted, uh, but uh, it's where we're at, and we're going to get through it together. Uh, so please, uh, for the sake of love, uh, let, let the Lord continue to provide for you. Okay, I don't see any other questions that have come in. Thanks to those that asked questions today, and uh, let's pray. Lord, thank you for your gift of your holy word, which continues to teach us all that we need. May we cling and submit ourselves to that word. May that be our very formal principle uh, that defines who uh, not only that we are, but what we as a church uh, continue to do. Uh, in the midst of that, Lord, you have justified us for the sake of Christ. You've declared us not guilty, not because of anything we have done or left undone, but solely for the sake of Christ. May that simple faith continue to, to, to grab hold, uh, to catch you in your word, to hold you to it, because you are a God that is faithful and good. Be with us still during this time of, uh, of, of, of earthly and physical separation, uh, but that we may yet know that heaven is still open to us, uh, still through your word and the opportunity to receive the gifts of your son's body and blood. Uh, in all of this, O oh Lord, grant us patience. Uh, and may we be resolute, as Polycarp and so many others were, in confessing that faith, even in the midst of death, which for us is yet but life, and a resurrection that yet awaits. Fill us, O Lord, with this hope. All this we ask in the name of Jesus, who taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Peace be with you. Amen. Bye-bye.